Well, I'll open us up in prayer and then we'll do this lesson and then we'll close again in prayer and see how that goes. Father, the thing I'm thinking about the most is school opening tomorrow. There's a lot of kids in this county that are that are starting school. Just be with the families as they, they enter a different season of life. We're coming off of summer and going into the school year. So just uh, be with us as we transition all of us into that. Uh, even those of us that don't have children at home currently, uh, just allow those folks to come alongside the families that do. and and be a help to them and i just pray that tonight's lesson is is healthy one and a biblical one and a and a a wise one for all of us to hear and all of us to learn from and i just pray that that the lessons that we've learned in here thus far about first timothy have been fruitful and that they allow us to go out from here and know more about you and and that's what we're here for is to learn more about you so just keep revealing things to us and be with us tonight as we study together. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Alrighty, so 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the ESV reads, is everybody opened and ready to roll? I'll give you a second. I got to get better at reading the crowd here and letting everybody give them people time and all those things. As I get more comfortable, I'll, I'll know what I'm, what I'm supposed to be doing. First. If Dale's ready, then probably everybody else is ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's towards the back. It's before second. It's just before second Timothy. <laughs> all right, let me read for us. First Timothy chapter six. Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these, with these we will be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is the testimony before Pontius Pilate who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. I really meant to have a review of, of First Timothy before I read all that, but does anybody know or, or can anybody remember or think of any key themes or points from any chapters of First Timothy so far? There's one great big theme from First Timothy. Paul's warning Timothy about something in particular. Say again. That is a th that would be a theme. That's not the one I'm thinking about, but that's an acceptable answer for sure. Think about the opposite of sound doctrine would be what false teaching. False teaching. Yeah, that's the biggest one that comes to my mind, and that's just that was the that was the first one at the top of my list. But chapter one. Uh, a, a, a couple themes from chapter one was Paul warns Timothy against false teachers, and he does that throughout the whole book, and that Jesus came to save sinners. Chapter two was pray for all people. Men are responsible for some things. Women are responsible for others. And the whole overall theme in context, and I'll, I'll talk about this more later, the whole theme or the, the context of, or the purpose of Paul writing to Timothy specifically was to teach Timothy who was a young man, how to lead a church in Ephesus. And that was the context. But but a point I want to make later on is that, and it's, it's fresh on my mind because I'm, I'm taking this new class, this new seminary class, and it's all about biblical hermeneutics, which just means how to interpret the Bible. We are to interpret it within its own context. And also, we're... It does have meaning for our lives, also. So, contextually, Paul is writing to Timothy about how to lead the church as a young man. But for us, we are all Timothy in a way, in that 
he, he's, he's telling Timothy how to act as a Christian. These, these things aren't only relevant to Timothy, they're relevant to us as well. So chapter 2, uh, I've already covered. Pray for all people. Men do certain things. Women do, women do certain things. And there's one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus and no one else. Chapter 3 was an outline of church government and that pastors and deacons within a church must meet a certain standard. Chapter 4, the theme... or the the point of chapter 4 was uh, outlining apostasy in the church and apostasy was defined as the total rejection of Christianity by a baptized person who having at one time professed the Christian faith publicly rejects it now. In chapter 5 Paul informs Timothy how to treat older people within the church and relationships between uh, men and women, younger younger women, younger men, older men, older women and uh, also how to treat widows and what widows are acceptable to to be cared for and which ones weren't and why. And uh, Paul also informed Timothy to never be in a hurry to appoint church leaders and to take care of his physical health. Do any of any or all of those things ring a bell to people that have been coming? That's good. Okay, so Chapter 6, which we've already read, but verses 1 and 2, I will read again. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So, I'm going to pick on... Joy, what is a yoke? It is a wooden tool that connects two oxen together to make the burden light. It's like divides the burden between the ox. That's right. To do what? Um, what? To do what? After that, what happens? You got two two animals hooked together for a purpose. Wow. With a with some sort of implement behind it, a wagon or a plow or whatever. Sort of like teamwork makes a dream work. You know, we're we're hooking up together and we're so uh, we talked about yoke on Sunday school a couple of weeks back. I always heard it as like egg yolk, which I'm that tells you how smart I am, but. Uh, I heard I listened to a sermon that really was it just outlined yoke the thought of a yoke is used many many times in the Bible Jesus says take my yoke upon you it's I, I'll, it's gentle and uh, my burden is light you know and here it's just talking about slavery uh, it says let all who are under a yoke as bond servants which means if if you are a slave so does this do these verses make any sense to anybody? I, I have the I had the good fortune to have time to really analyze them, but when I first read it, I was like, this makes zero sense to me, really. We're talking about slavery and that, you know, that's we none of us to my knowledge have ever been slaves, so it's just hard to put uh it's hard to put it's hard to really get a feel for what these verses mean. But and I think it is it applies to like employees and employers as well. 
It could. It could. In this context, it literally means slaves. But I did. I, I make a point also that to uh, we are all bound. We're still bound by certain things and people uh, that we don't necessarily agree with, but we still have to love them anyways. But but contextually, Paul is writing about actual slaves, and so just think about the time. This was all of this was written like. 30 years after the death of Jesus. So the very beginning of the church as we know it. So by the time he's writing these, this letter to Paul or to Timothy at Ephesus, Jesus had come to earth, healed people, performed many miracles, lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. And then he resurrected into heaven. And Christianity as we know it is in the beginning stages and the church that we all know and love is around 30 years old. And there were slaves on the earth that had become believers in Jesus. And some of their masters were all also believers in Jesus. So the slave's a believer and the slave owner is a believer. So here's question number one for the night. If you were a slave in this context, the context that the, the book is written, if you were a slave and you were a believer, the same as you are right now, and your master was also a believer, what would your expectations be? Of that relationship, we um, expect him to be more lenient with you because you're both Christians. I think you think he'd be more tall. I would, yeah. I would expect even more than that. Selfishly, if he's a Christian, he's going to treat you fair. So. My expectation would be that I would be set free. That's what I would <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I would Yeah. I wouldn't be a slave anymore. Yeah. So, so when I read this verse, I was like, this just really makes no sense to me. But I was thinking. They set people free then. They didn't set their slaves. Right, right. When Paul sent the slave back to his master, he didn't send him back for him to set him free. He sent him back to show respect and to be honest. <coughs> Master would be honest and to love him as well. And that's what, how he outlines it. But as I read it, I just thought, my goodness, I, all right, we're both believers here. Can I go now? Like, am I, am I still bound to this? You know? So, and to your point, I said, uh, as I as I reflected on these things, it's easier for me to, in in our context today, to think about it like this: We're all bound by a couple of things on earth. We may not be slaves, but we all have to serve someone that we may not be interested in serving. The biggest example I can think of is the government. We are bound in a way by a set of rules that we may or may not agree with regarding taxes and other other things, other laws that we might not necessarily agree with or whatever. But God's will is that we submit to the government and to God simultaneously, just as slaves of that time were to submit to their masters and to God. So he, he that's the whole point of the passage. He's saying, okay, you all are both believers here. As the slave, you are to, to honor your master and you're to work for him and serve him. Uh, probably serving better now than you even thought about doing before, you know. And um, and the thought of the government, you know, 
I'm certain that there's things that annoy us all in here about the government. You know, we're, we're it's sort of like an, I, mean, I personally don't like paying 20 or 30 percent of my paycheck to the government. I don't know about you all, but uh, Jesus had something to say about this to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 12. He says, uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and challenge him and, and it says, and they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And, and they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness is, and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So that passage just makes me think of the slavery passage. The slave has to honor his master and honor God simultaneously. And that's the same for us. Like there's certain things about this world that we might not like, but that doesn't mean we can't just say, well, I'm not going to pay my taxes. I guess blah, 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 or whatever the, whatever our selfish reasons are, because there are all of them. <laughs> Mine has a little picture of a Daenerys coin. <clears throat> really? Mm -hmm. Does it have Caesar on it? Yeah. Have wearing the little leaf, leaf crown thing? <laughs> that That passage right there in the past has been a very convicting one for me. Well, you could think through on down that your boss or you work at you should uh, do your best, even though you don't like him. Mm -hmm. You're under his control. I have a lot of bosses, and they're all looking at me right now. Yeah. But just because we know that doesn't mean we always do it. <laughs> <laughs> So you just gonna hope we're all Christian and do Christian wave with you then. I'm sure that's the prayer. I, the whole time you've been talking about this, I keep going back to being in slavery to Christ. You know, I mean, basically, if we trust in Him and we do as He wants us to do, we are the slaves as well. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just because we, I mean, we should always be. Not that we always are, but you know, that is we're reminded daily yeah. of that enslavement. Mm -hmm. We need to take up our cross and follow him always, always, and every day. Yeah. So that's a healthy way to look at it. And it's accurate. All right, verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has a healthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, division, I mean, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So regarding teaching false doctrines, Paul is condemning anyone who neglects or rejects the teaching of sound biblical doctrine. 
and the author of the commentary that I'm reading as we as I build this study states that even when people aren't openly opposing godly teaching, it is possible not to profess any god ungodly or obvious error and yet still produce I'm sorry, and yet still pollute the teaching of godliness by stupid chatter. Those are his words, not mine. All teaching that does not agree with the teaching Christ instituted will not build up the church. So what he's saying is, remember Sunday when I was talking about the guy I was having a conversation with and it bothered me so much. I knew he was not a believer. I know I've known this guy for a long time, but this guy chose out into out in the public eye to define what sinfulness was. And that ate me alive. The fact, not to the point of anger, but the point of, so much concern that I couldn't stand to not say something about it because of this very reason uh, as the as the the writer of the commentary says um, the, the the guy that I'm speaking about his intention was his intention was only to ju- to justify his actions it wasn't to lead people away from God it was to to make himself feel better about what he's participating in. It had not, I don't. I don't think he was intentionally trying to push people out of godly living, but that's what he was doing. I mean, in, in my eyes, as a person who's following God, that's what he was. That's what he was doing, and I found that to be very offensive. To 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 God first, but second to me, and to the people that don't yet know God, because he, he he's he's allowing people when people say whatever they want that's not the truth other people it's it's contagious like oh it's fine just do do whatever you know just do whatever you want because it's fine where life is short do what you want that's what i'm doing and it's working for me look i'm doing great you know and that's just not the truth so he's un this is what paul's talking about that if we're not following sound biblical truth we're just following you're essentially following the evil one you're following yourself you're just you're following your own sinful desire and that's that's what he is warning timothy about in the whole book is sound doctrine only and that's it because if not chaos will ensue does anybody have anything to share about that i'm getting worked up again just thinking about it But you would have been the one to call them out, though. You know what you're talking about, and you needed to kind of be set straight. Well, I didn't really... Maybe not. It's just so hard in, in the world to have those conversations because maybe my... I've said it like three times this week, and I hate... I don't enjoy this about myself, but I'm sort of a natural-born pessimist. You know, like I... I don't, <laughs> you look so troubled by me saying that, but when I have conversations with, with people like that, sometimes I, my expectations, it's like I don't expect them to come to faith, unfortunately. I hate, I don't like that, but I just, sometimes the conversations just seem so very hopeless, you know, which which increases my reliance on God because I know I'm not the one that has the power to change the person anyways. All I planting the seed. Right. All I can do is deliver the truth lovingly. 
but you just you get discouraged. You know, maybe ten years from now, that same same guy comes back. You would say, remember when you called me out on this? Yeah. You know, you just don't know. It's just such a severe test of your patience. You know, it's just like. It's just like a kid when you tell them not to go do it, and they go right and do that. You know, right. How many times do I have to tell you not to do this? Yeah. But you just don't know that you didn't plant that little that little spark, and somebody else is going to come along and put a little more to that, and then yeah. somebody else will take that one and put a little more. To right. It. So. And I don't mean to scare y'all off saying I'm a pessimist. I'm just, I just mean God changed me. If he can change me, he can change that guy. And he can change anybody anywhere because he does that. But my but goodness. If it was bothering you, it was, you needed to say something about it. Yeah. Because then it would be unjust if you did it. Yeah. You would sit back and say to yourself, you know, what if I was the one that didn't say anything and he goes to hell for that, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, it's heavy. What is that burden? Heavy burden. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Okay. Verses 4 and 5. He's puffed up. I'm not going to read it again. I already read it. I am going to read it again. I changed my mind. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and worldly things and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So he refers to the person that does not agree with sound doctrine and a person that is puffed up with it, with conceit and, and they think that they understand everything clearly, but they don't because they're blind to the truth. This, these these people are more concerned with uh, with their themselves and their personal agenda and possibly even more nonsense such as envy or dissension or slander or evil suspicions or constant friction as Paul says now here's a question how can we avoid because these things do happen within churches how can we avoid these things within the church based on the context of this passage so Think about the whole point of the book of Timothy. We all know, you all have all been in church long enough to know that at times there are envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction. How can these things be avoided? Based on what we've learned about the book of 1 Timothy, how can we avoid such things? I have an answer. I want to hear you all's answer. That would be one way. It's not the answer I'm looking for based on First Timothy. Prayer. That is also a good response, but not the answer that I'm looking for. Think about First Timothy, the, the major theme. Put God first in whatever you do, and therefore be an encourager to one another instead of gossip. Stay in the word. All of these things are all of these things are good, and that's getting closer. What's the opposite of false teaching? Sound doctrine. Focus on sound doctrine. So I think when maybe when churches start to buzz and people, and this is always going to happen because humans are going to be human, but the focus needs to remain on sound doctrine always. Programming and all all these activities and all that stuff are of very much importance 
but sound doctrine within the church is what Paul is is teaching here. Does that make sense? Verse 5b, which is the second part of 5, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. This is referencing a person who doesn't understand sound biblical doctrine Doctrine will see godliness as a means of personal wealth or gain. This person may see godliness as a way to make themselves better, a better person. So take a moment, and this is a, this is a question break again. Take a moment and think about how would you define true godliness? Think to yourself, what does it look like for yourself personally to live a godly life? How, how are we practically today, right now, uh, how do we activate true godliness? How do we personally live a godly life? There's really no wrong answers here. Study the Lord. Yep. All across the example. Any other responses? I like to help people. Um, able. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a really strong desire to do that. I feel like that comes from God for sure. Talks about having the next few verses, the verses originated. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? That clock's talking to me again. I came out here the other day and I, I thought something's off. I was in here by myself and I, I was standing at that door in this opening or whatever and I was standing out here and I thought something's weird in here and I looked up at that clock and it it was like one in the afternoon and it said five o'clock and I texted Mark Slimmer (laughs) did you forget to wind the clock (laughs) he was down here within ten minutes I said said, you didn't have to do all that (laughs) I was just giving him a hard time (laughs) but my answer to the question and, and all those answers are good but but my answer was to live a godly life, one must seek to understand God's design for humanity based on the information that He left us in Scripture. The information that He left us in Scripture summarized in the most elementary way is that God created everything, including humans. Humans are sinful. Once we are made aware of our personal sinfulness and God's goodness, we should seek to honor Him in everything that we do. This means that the main purpose of our lives is not to focus on our personal gain or growth or wealth or status in the world, but to submit our lives to Christ and point people to Him until we go on to be with Him. Or, summarized in an even simpler way, godliness equals less of me and more of you, God. So the same as what you said earlier about, you know, we are slaves to God, and that's a hard... For our brains to hear we are slaves to God, we we 
there's there's sort of a negative connotation to that. Like, I don't want to be a slave, but that's the nature of the relationship is that. You're not a slave to God, and you're a slave to you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as we mature and as we become holier, we, 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 you know, at certain stages we think, well, slavery, like I have to do everything that he says. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. Yeah, that's the answer to that. So. The example of that, not like you did whatever you wanted. Yeah. Now we're expected to be slaves. Yeah. Not like that. It's like he was watching people's feet and going to serve them. Yes, going to nations that no one else wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. So I think at least we have a good example of that. Yeah, and followed through with the crucifixion. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big one. Okay, verses six through ten. He admittedly did not want to. And his prayer in the garden. Mm-hmm. There's any other way we can do this. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> sweating, sweating blood at that point. Yeah. Still didn't sin. There's still no sin throughout the process, but he, yeah, he was analyzing the situation quite heavily. But. In that earlier verse, I was thinking about the one time that Jesus really was angry was when they were making a flea market out of the temple, and he turned the tables over, and, but he didn't sin. <laughs> I was thinking about that righteous sort of anger uh, the other day, as as the situation with the guy I keep bringing up came up. Really, the only time that he was ever that I can really recall that he was sarcastic or or uh, pat, like passive or seemed to not care so much about people was the Pharisees. You know, the people that pretended like they knew everything. It was never the adulterous woman or the woman at the well or all these other sinful people. He was kind and gentle with them. But the Pharisees who acted as if they were God in a way, he didn't, he wasn't too interested in that. You could look at it as slavery to God, but I mean, in, in simpler context, I mean, if you, if you love Him, you know, uh, and you're willing to seek to do His will in your life, that you can look at the reward you get. Mm-hmm. You know, just be with Him. Doesn't feel like slavery at that point, right? Well, I guess there's the freedom from the bondage of sin, too. You know, when you look at people that are not in God's will, some of them are. You know, you can see the Mm-hmm. Just like the video, you know, I know you all love my videos so much. That that video we watched of the guy, that, the young man that went to North Sentinel Island and was killed. I'm sure at times he thought, I'm a psychopath for actually following through with this. But he felt that that's what God was wanting him to do. You know, that's a... He was yoked to Jesus and he went where he... Th- where he thought Jesus was telling him to go. And there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus told him to go there. It's scary to me that it makes sense to me a little because nobody else was going. So this guy looked up and thought, well, send me then. I'll I'll go. And uh, 
I doubt if he saw that as slavery. But remember when he was outlining in his journal, he went the first night and they shot at him. He went back to the boat and he's like, the same as in the prayer in the garden. He said, Lord, I'm scared, but I'm going back tomorrow. And he died that day, you know. I just thinking about that gives me cold chills. The the courage of that guy and the clarity that he had. Uh, I remember when I first heard that was probably four years ago, and I thought, well, that guy was just dumb. That was a stupid thing to do. But it's not. If 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 he sought God through through prayer and and counsel of other people, remember in the video it said he was preparing for like eight years or nine years to go there. You know, it's not like he went on a whim. Anyways, I'm sidetracking. But six through ten. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing. With these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So godliness does bring us great gain, but not the same gain that the world seeks. True godliness brings us great gain because we inherit a relationship with Christ and all the riches He brings to the table. So how do these verses ring true in your life? Meaning, I'd love to hear somebody's testimony maybe about how... um, I don't know how how to make my point, but you know... There was never a time where I, I never, I've never had the thought of, I'm going to follow God because it's going to make my life better. That never, that didn't happen to me. Um, so, so the question is, how do these verses ring true to your life? Uh, how have you found that after salvation, godliness has brought great gain to your life or a relationship with Christ? How has a relationship with Christ brought great gain to you? <clears throat> An example for me would be it led me here. I'm here now, and this is my job, and I was just laughing and reflecting back. That that Kentucky Baptist Convention guy was here the other day, and I was telling him, I can't believe this is my job. I get This is my full-time job. I have no other focus. I, I'm financially stable enough with the opportunity they have presented here that my sole focus is to study the Word and to teach it and to to be the hands and feet of Jesus all the time. I don't have any other... That's a big thing. That's a big responsibility. But I'm, I'm a... It's a great thing for me, and I'm grateful for it. So that's been a great gain in my life. But I didn't start following Jesus so that that could be the case. That was just a blessing that God's matured me in, in a way that, first off, allows me to want to do this because not many people seem to want to, you know, unfortunately. But it, does anybody have any examples of how a relationship with Christ has produced great gain in your life? Don't you think most all of us have sickness or troubles in our life and our faith helped us to get through it? Or if we didn't have him to lead to, I don't see how some of them make it through it. Yeah. 
So peace. I mean, it, it, the Holy Spirit produces peace. So through a, a life troubles, you know, you think, how am I going to get through this time of sickness or the time of sickness of my loved ones or whatever? But there's times when you have extreme amounts of peace where worldly people would not have that. It's worry, worry, worry. Just like during COVID. I don't know about you all, but I wasn't necessarily... I understand a lot of bad things happened during COVID, but I didn't have a posture of, oh no, we're all going to die. I just kind of thought, well... (sighs) Sickness, just... I mean, sickness sickness and death is a... It's life, I mean... I mean, I think it is like that says godliness with contentment is great pain. And I think that that's a lot of it is just not needing to worry. I mean, some people choose to worry, but um, I like to say that says worry is like rocking in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yeah, that for me has always been there's that trust, there's that. You know, even when there are things going on in the world that you do not understand or things that you can't control. Back in, whatever, late 2000s, um, my son, when my son was yeah, deployed to Iraq, my boss said, I don't, I don't know how you do it. And I said, I just have to take it a day at a time and trust God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, there's nothing else that you can do. I mean, what am I going to do? Crawl in the corner and cry and mm-hmm. worry every day? No. Yeah. When you start to that. view everything that you have, including your children, including your breath, as a, a gift from God, it's, it's, a, it's as if you don't deserve any of this stuff in the first place, yet you have it. So why, how are you going to sit around and worry about, well, when's my last breath going to be? Well, I didn't decide when my first breath was going to be, so what's I can't waste my time worrying about it, you know. Yeah, when I was young, I was lost this goose and had an attitude. Uh, the job I worked at for 41 years, when I was first there, I was trying to fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was waiting for work every day. And then when I got saved, it's like he just completely changed my attitude. Mm-hmm. And I want to let them hang it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just big change. Mm-hmm. That's when you, you're, you're set in all and you know that it was from God. You know, I mean, there's no doubt that it comes from God when you, a testimony like that, you know, you you just, and you think, you're, think every day for the blessings. Mm-hmm. And you look at the wonders of the world. I mean, We've been to the beach, and that beach is gorgeous. I mean, the water there is beautiful, and the sand is white. And I'm just standing there in awe. Like, people can't believe mm-hmm. in a God that did all this, you know. And it just, it just, you always think about it, and then you think, well, you know, somebody's got to tell them, you know. Never had the opportunity. I mean, I'm sure if I somebody come up to me and said something, I could have witness to him right then and there but you know and God gives us those opportunities and we take them we don't take them for granted you know we have to take them for every day's work mm-hmm. but um, yeah it's just it's amazing that the things 
that we, you know, when we're young and stupid and we don't think about it. And then when you get older and you sit back and you look at the whole picture, you're like, I mean, I can remember fretting and worrying and all those crazy things when we had young kids and trying to get through day by day, you know. Yeah. And then, but now I hope to be that blessing for other people, you know. I'll say to the young girls, hey, call me, you know. I'll, I'll watch your kids. I'll do whatever I can do to help you in that sense, you know. It's hard, you know. I When you're in the trenches, you don't see it. That yeah. way. <laughs> but God never forgot me, and, you know, I never forgot him. You know, he was always there. <laughs> I always prayed a lot, but he was oh. always there. Um, I, I've always had God in my life, and I thought nothing could ever rock up for me, and I got baptized in 86 at Burlington Baptist. But, uh, and I thought I was solid, and a couple bad marriages sent me into such a depression. I tried to drown myself in alcohol for about two years. And it took me, even after that sobered up, I realized my soul wanted to start healing until I knew God could forgive me. But my soul couldn't start healing until I let him teach me how to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. So then I started actually getting better. And it was hard for me. <clears throat> I'm glad you pulled out. I'm glad you pulled out of that. I was having a conversation with somebody just yesterday or the day before that similar testimonies like that happen all the time. Okay, I was saved in saved and baptized in eight, 1986. Then and I was faithful, and then all kinds of bad stuff happened. And then you either come out of it or you don't, and it just makes you think like. I know it's encouraging to read stories like David, like King David, which we talked about the other day that, you know, he was a man of God, a man after God's own heart. But then he did all kinds of really bad stuff. But then in the end was repentant and he didn't. It's not like we're not going to walk through life without problems and trials. And some of our trials are more severe than others, you know. Uh, but the important thing is that he'll, he remains faithful to us even when we are like David, stealing people's women and having babies with them or consuming substances to make ourselves feel better or uh, all that we know, all the evils, we don't have to highlight them all. There's all kinds of bad things. God remains faithful even when we don't. But but we must stay with it, stay the course, and and this is the sound doctrine that Paul is teaching about, preaching about to Timothy, and writing to Timothy about is is key to that. The more sound doctrine that we attempt to understand, the better. Let's go on to eleven through sixteen. But as for you, O man of God. Flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Find the, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is the testimony bef- who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
How far was it going? Which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So, Paul is reminding Timothy that Jesus has changed the heart of Timothy, and Timothy now has the authority to preach and teach and live for Christ because of what Christ did for him. And Paul brings to light in these verses the things that a man of God should be pursuing, which are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And that's in contrast to what he mentioned before, uh, people that are following unsound doctrine uh, fall into, which is envy, slander, and all that stuff. So if we pursue these things, we will be, if we pursue righteousness and the things of God, we'll be more able to avoid the snares of the evil one. These verses, I'm going to speed up so we can get through this and still pray at the end. These verses are also an encouragement from Paul to Timothy to rid his mind of worldly matters. And in, I really like this. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes to Timothy, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So well, he's saying... Let's not focus on worldly things because we're not following worldly things. We're following godly things. So no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits or worldly pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, who was God. These verses are meant to be encouraging to Timothy and serve as a warning to Timothy to keep a close watch on his teaching and his actions, which is what Paul has been saying to Timothy this entire letter. Remember, I think it was First Timothy chapter four, verse sixteen. I've had to memorize this verse for a class before. It says, "Keep clo- keep close watch on your." Uh, let me think. Keep a close watch on your life and your teaching, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, how has the intentional avoidance of worldliness and the pursuit of godliness produced blessings in your life? And we've talked about that already. Uh, but one, one, one cool story that I heard this week, I was on the phone with uh, Katie Cooper, who's the Australian girl that's leading the trip to Australia that um, Paula and I are going on with River of Life. And she's my age, and she's a godly woman, and she's single. And sometimes I like to give her a hard time for not being married yet. <laughs> I say, Katie, you got it? You found find find a man yet? And she said, you know, in her Australian accent, she says, Tink, I've just quit worrying about such things, mate. <laughs> and she actually said uh, a couple times ago, I asked her about it. I don't tease her to make her feel bad. I'm just I'm curious about her life. She's a sister to me, you know. Uh, we get along really well and she's very wise and um, she said the other day she said you know I've come to the conclusion that God's put me on this earth for a very short amount of time let's say I get to live for 80 years I don't need to concern myself myself with such things if I have to suffer for 80 years being single so be it I'm going to focus I'm going to focus more on what he wants for me and less on what I want for myself, which is 
exactly what Paul is telling Timothy here. So I just thought that was a... And Paul, Paul says... Where does he say it? Is it in 1 Corinthians? Maybe he says... Uh, you know, it's better for men not to marry because their sole focus can be on godly things. And that's exactly what Katie's walking. I mean, she's, she's out of many, many, many people that I know, she, uh, she's following what this word says. And she's coming, she and another person from church are coming here, uh, not this Sunday, but next. So you all will get to meet her, which will be really neat. She's going to explain the trip and why we're going. And uh, she's from there, and we're going to stay with her parents. And so you'll get to hear all about that. Verse 12 says, Fight the good fight. Take hold of. Uh, these are my notes. Take hold of. Nope, this is the actual verse. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul reminds Timothy that they aren't pursuing the things of God for vanity or a better life on earth. They have entered gospel ministry for one reason the point as many people, to point as many people as possible to Jesus. Paul goes on in the next few verses talking about uh i'll just summarize them real quick he says uh, i charge you in the presence of god who live who gives life to all things and of christ jesus who in his testimony before pontius pilate made the good confession so that reference points us to john chapter 18 verses 33 through 37 so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So this, this connection between the testimony that the testimony that Jesus gave to Pontius Pilate was I am Jesus, I am God. And the testimony that Paul is telling Timothy, we are serving God, we are serving Jesus. And so the purpose, this just led me to the thought, like we are connected to Jesus and the purpose of Jesus's ministry while he was on earth was to point people to himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the ministry of Paul was to point people to Jesus. And the purpose of the ministry of Timothy was to point people to Jesus. And the purpose of the ministry of Steve Alford was to point people to Jesus. And the purpose of the ministry of Jordan Jones is to point people to Jesus. And the purpose of the ministry of L.D. Campbell is to point people to Jesus. And the purpose of the ministry of Tink Hayden is to point people to Jesus. And the purpose of the ministry of Bellevue Baptist Church is to point people to Jesus. And the purpose of your all's ministry, which you all are Bellevue Baptist Church, is to point people to Jesus. So the purpose of the book of First Timothy contextually was that Paul, an older missionary or pastor, was counseling Timothy, a young pastor, on how to lead a church. And the purpose for us is the same. We are the church. 
We're to follow sound doctrine. We're not to fall into the traps of the world. And to not fall into the traps of the world, our focus should be on sound doctrine and Jesus and the things of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the Old Testament, which leads us to the reason that Jesus came. And that's basically it. That's how this book is useful to us. And so we should all heed the exact warnings, precautions, and godly behaviors that Timothy, that Paul was encouraging Timothy to either avoid or follow. So, we've still got time. You've still got time with me. How much time do we have? Plenty. In the Christian life, everybody plays a different role. You can be a pastor, you can be a janitor, you can be a mother, you can be a school teacher, you can be a dump truck driver, but we all have the same mission. And what is that mission? To point people to Jesus. So if the book of 1 Timothy seems sort of redundant or repetitive, uh, the author of my commentary, which is a word that I have a hard time remembering, said it very well. He said, It was impossible to overemphasize the need then for all godly people to have their minds focused exclusively on the day of Christ as countless evils were taking place all over the world. They were being attacked on every side. Everyone hated them and cursed them, and they were exposed to mockery every day. In the meantime, no one could see their labors and struggles producing any fruit. He's talking about the church at Ephesus. What else was there to do but recall the wonderful day of our redemption? The same reasoning is relevant for us today. Satan shows us that if we did not have this hope in us, the hope of Jesus, we would be drawn away from the right course 1,000 times a day. And he wrote that, what I just read, in the year 1549. And as I just thought about what he said, his last sentence the same reasoning is relevant for us today last two sentences satan show us satan shows us that if we did not have this hope in us we would be drawn away from the right course a thousand times a day so this guy in 1549 had so many less distractions than we have right now in my in my opinion you all might have different opinions but I would assume that the distractions in the year 1549 were far less than our distractions. I mean, we can distract ourselves for weeks at a time. You know, on Sundays, every Sunday, my phone will say, kip, kip, ching, and it'll say, you've been on your phone for four hours every day this week. And I'm like, oh, no. We should, can we get a pay phone in the parking lot or something? <laughs> so there's just... There's so many unhealthy distractions. They're everywhere. And I actually I actually didn't go on from 17 to, to 20, but we read it all read, and it just talks about, uh, as for the rich in this present age within the church, he's saying that rich people can still produce good fruit. You know, he, Paul seems to condemn the rich sometimes, but... Just because we have money doesn't mean we're, we're not following God, but we need to use our resources to, to for the kingdom, essentially. <clears throat> so that got us through First Timothy. I hope I hope all of that made some sort of sense. It makes sense to me, and it, it's really 
It's six chapters, but it's pretty much the same message that we are to follow sound doctrine and to avoid the snares of the world so as to avoid uh, falling away from the faith and falling into times of darkness and despair and all these things. And contextually, it's an encouragement from an old pastor to a young pastor on how to, to lead a church. And that's the same theme of 2 Timothy, and that's the same theme of Titus. Because 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles, they're letters to pastors. I think next week we'll do 2 Timothy. Next week, okay, I know people are scared of different things sometimes. But I've started this seminary class and it's like a 12 hour a week commitment. That you ought to read four books in eight weeks. You've got to do all these other things. Jump, you know, do backflips and hula hoops and all kinds of things. I'm gonna do a video study. Josh is gonna set up a, a, we're either gonna meet in here or we're gonna meet in there. Don't be scared when I say video study. It's a 10 minute video. It's going to be the same sort of format as this, but the, the lesson is built already. I'm going to review the lesson, of course. I'm not just going to show up blind, but it'll save me like six hours of preparation. It took me the whole day to prepare this today. I started late, if you can't pick up on that. But So we watch a 10-minute video. We read the chapter that the video outlines, and then there's discussion based on that so don't let the term video study scare you to death it won't be scary it'll be good is everybody all right with that this study will do a couple things too it'll it'll uh it'll get us through a chunk of time i think it's it's either eight weeks or 12 i think it's eight weeks but i'll be gone for two weeks so the a template will be built for somebody else to carry on while i'm not here also which will be nice